with um, next week being Palm Sunday. And, uh, you know, again, it, I got to come up with the traditional Palm Sunday message, right? <laughs> All right, we'll see how untraditional we can make it. But, but again, it's an important time. And, and it, again, it's an important time in church history. I, last year, you know, we, we missed out on the whole thing because of the whole COVID. And this year, we're going to celebrate. We're going to raise up a righteous cry unto the Lord. And we're going to declare the goodness of God. And our, our next week, our, um, our preschoolers, they've been working on a wonderful presentation, and they're going to come, and they're going to minister to you next week, and you know, both of the 9 o'clock and, and the 11 o'clock, if some of you can come to the 9 o'clock next week, please make sure that you do that, all right? Well, we'll make room for as many as we can to come and to just to be able to experience church, be able to experience God's people loving on the, those who God brings. And so it's a great opportunity to do that. The week after that is Easter, and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, without Jesus, we have nothing. Amen. There is no hope without Jesus. Amen. And, uh, and so in light of that, I, I've been, since we started to walk through in Luke, we've been going through this study. I'm going to deviate from where I was in chapter 4. Um, we're going to move into something different today. You can open up your Bible to Luke chapter 16. And I want to share with you today something that God began to lay on my heart when we were going through the daily dig and reading through the gospel of Luke just week by week, one or day by day, one chapter at a time, and going through that. And, and I came to uh, Luke chapter 16, and God really began to download some things into my heart, some things that I really felt I needed and, and that God wanted to be shared with the church. Yet, chapter 16 is going to be quite a ways down the road at the rate at which we're going through the Gospel of Luke. And so I want to take the opportunity today to minister to you, to teach to you something out of Luke chapter 16 that I believe is vitally important to the church. And the title of my sermon, what I want to share with you, is this question, what in hell is going on? I don't mean that in a way of trying to be crass or crude. I mean that literally. What in hell is going on? What, what is happening? I, we hear people say that. Pastor Trevor preached about this a, a couple of weeks back, how we use that so terribly out of context and how irreverent it is. And, I, and, and praise God for that. But we hear people say that all the time. And I heard that statement, and it was made, and it really made me think about the literal significance of that. What in hell is going on? What is happening there? Because it's a question I think that we need to look at. Because really, honestly, how would it affect us? How would it affect you if you truly had an honest, open, real glimpse into, right now, in this instant, what was going on in hell? I, I believe it would rock us to our core. I believe that there's so many things that God would do as we open up our hearts to, uh, to see what it is that God wants us to see. And Jesus gives us this teaching. Now, again, some of you, you may not like where we go with this. Some of you may not care. But listen, you know, you, you got to decide something. We all have to decide something. Is, it, is, this, is this something that I don't like or is this something that's unbiblical? Because there's a huge difference in that. 
Amen, Pastor Mark. Good job. Yeah. Come on. Come on. There we go. It would be a sobering experience for us. And, and, and God wants us to have truth. And so Jesus begins to teach us, and before we get to Luke chapter 16, I want to kind of back up just a little bit, and in in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is doing some teaching, and he's teaching with these parables, and he's speaking to uh, the people, the disciples, and the people that are listening there, and, and he's speaking in terms of parables, and he tells the parable of the prodigal son. And so he shares the story, and there are a lot of implications to that. I have no idea when we really start digging into the 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 real depth of the meaning of that whole thing, how long it's going to take us just to get through that one story. Because there's so many implications and so many things that God wants us to receive out of this one parable. But we can know this. We can know that one of the things, one of the things that we'll look at today is that God was sharing this, Jesus was sharing this because it was the prodigal son who wasted the father's blessings. The father blessed him with things. He blessed him with things that he probably shouldn't have had or even deserved. But the father had blessed him and he took all those blessings and he wasted those blessings. And the wasting of those blessings left him in the pig pen. And then the next story that he goes into in Luke chapter 16, he goes into, in verses 1 through 13, he goes into the story about this, uh, uh, some say shrewd manager, some, some of your Bibles will say dishonest manager. And he goes into talking about this man who was dishonest in the way in which he managed his master's stuff. And he took all of the master's stuff and he did not take care of the resources. And Jesus was teaching in this, and and he was teaching the disciples through this time a lot of things, but one of the things that he's tying together in this thread, he's tying together the Lord teaching the disciples how how to use properly earthly resources that they'd been blessed with. How to use finances for eternal good. How to use the master's blessings for eternal good. How how do you, and again, it's not a tithe message, so don't try to figure out how you're getting out. But he's, he's teaching about being faithful to use what God has given you for the purpose that God had given it to you. And the last thing he says here in verse 13 is he talks about this. He says, uh, at the end of this parable, he says, you cannot serve God and money. So this is where God is. And the Pharisees, they're listening to him. The religious people that were there were listening to him. The disciples were listening to him. And the Pharisees knew. You know, how must they have felt all the time when Jesus was talking to them? Because they knew he was talking about them. Wait a minute. He's talking about lovers of money. We're lovers of money. In verses 14 and 15, he says the Pharisees, and you need to listen to this because it really does, this ties into what Jesus is saying through all of this and into the story I want to share with you today. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them this, you are those who justify yourselves before men. You justify yourself by your man-made rules. 
and you live according to your man-made rules. And then he says, but God. Come on, everybody say, but God. But God God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And then, and again, we'll get to this when we get to this through our weekly. I'm not going to dig into this, but then right now, but we will. Listen, church, I will not be apologetic for God's word. I may not like it. You may not like it. That doesn't change the truth. So right here, in the midst of this conversation, Jesus then makes this short little statement about marriage and divorce and remarriage. Some of you need to read that and repent. Okay? There's got to be some repentance that's going on because God, he's, he's presenting this truth. You need to read through that. Okay? And again, I'm not going to apologize for what God said. Amen. I'm not going to back away just because the culture has a different view of something or because culturally this is what's going on. Uh-uh. We don't. Listen, God does. I, I tell you this all the time. God's word doesn't change because of the culture. The culture was intended to be transformed by the word of God. And as long as we conform God's word to the culture, the culture will never be transformed by the power of the word. And so in this place here, he's making some strong statements. And I love that God does not want that any would perish, that none would perish, and that all would come to him in repentance. So out of his grace and out of the love that God has, he warns them. How many of you know God doesn't warn us to scare us? He warns us to prepare us. But some of the things he warns us of should scare us. It should. There needs to be, listen, you know, one of the things that we just have have totally gotten away from is a fear of God. You know, we love the love of God, but we don't like the justice of God. Look, you know what, If if God isn't just, he's not loving. You can't have it both ways. And I love that God wants to see people saved. And so he warns us. And what does Jesus do? He gives us this warning about eternity. The things that will happen. And he tells us about the things that men glorify. The things that men do in this world will be completely changed in eternity. Like it or not. And he tells us this story about a rich man and a man named Lazarus. Now let me, before we get to that, there's a couple things that I want to ask you about. First, is this story, the rich man and Lazarus, is it a real true story or is it a parable? There's many who believe it to be a parable. It was taught in the context of Jesus as he was telling parables. But then he did make this break and begin to bring some truth. And then he comes into this. And there are many who believe this to be a parable, a, a, an earthly story that has heavenly meaning. But I also want you to notice that in this story here, that he never says this is a parable. And out of the 39 parables that Jesus tells in the four Gospels, this is the only parable that he uses actual names in. Yep. 
and he uses these two names. He uses the name of Lazarus, which means God is my help, and Abraham, which we all know to be a true, a real father of the faith. We know him to be real. And so, listen, that's one of these things that, you know, I'll leave it up to you. We'll dive deeper into it, but it's not the point of where I want to go today. You can decide whether this parable is a true story or whether it is a parable. Either way, God is giving us a truth. Jesus used parables to give us truth, to share with us doctrinal truth, heavenly truth, to give us what was true. And therefore, this story is something that he's telling us in truth. And, and we need to receive it that way. So Lazarus, in the story, there's, about, there's two men in the story specifically. There's the rich man and Lazarus. And in this story, Lazarus, you'll notice, will never speak. Lazarus never says anything. And the reason is because I just don't believe that the story is about Lazarus and about his eternity. I don't believe it's about that. I believe it's about the rich man. And therefore, the focus is on the rich man. Because Jesus is wanting to tell us something that is true. And in this, he gives us and tells us these two destinies. Two destinies of two different men living two different lives. And what happens to them when they died. And church, again, you may not like this, you may not care about this, but you know, in this day and age, we, we, just, we just don't like this whole discussion of hell. But how can we veer away from or avoid a discussion that makes us uncomfortable and we don't like that Jesus took such time and such concern for us to share this with in such detail? So, again, you, what you do with the message today, please, it's up to you. I'm not the judge of that. That's between you and God. How I share with you, that's between me and God. And I promise you, I'm going to do everything I can to do what's right with him. And if you don't like it and it empties the church, then so be it. It's his church. He builds his church, not me. Amen. Amen, Pastor Mark. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Church should be a comfortable place where you come to hear an uncomfortable message. So, Jesus takes this scripture, this story, this parable, whatever you want to call it, and he takes this and he declares in three different things. He, he, you know, he's a master. We, we've been going through on Wednesday nights uh, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, and, and it's amazing how masterful Paul is. I mean, the guy, I mean, he just pulls you in. He just sucks you into understanding truth, and it's like you don't even know it. You don't even realize it, but all of a sudden, Paul, you're like, oh, man, he now I believe this thing. He sucked me into it. I, he's just amazing how masterful he is. And Jesus is even better. I mean, there is nobody that ministers like Jesus. There's nobody like him. And so he breaks this down. I want you to watch and follow the progression of what he does here. Because the first thing he does is he shares with us the condition of these two men on earth. And he says in verse 19, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Now, I, I'm reading, and I'm going to stop right there for a moment. Because I, I'm reading through that, and man, I bet those Pharisees were sitting back going, yes, that, yes, yes. A rich man, yeah, that guy. Oh, look, you know, look at all these things. He was dressed this way. He had all this. He was blessed, blessed, blessed. He was so blessed that look at all these things he had. He was blessed, blessed. God's hand was on him. He was so blessed, just like we are. And he's just going through this. I mean, these rich men, these guys, these, they were dressed, this rich man was dressed in purple. Purple was like the designer cloth. I mean, it was Armani or Prada that he was, you know, in. This stuff was important. In that day, it was not easy to obtain. Purple was really difficult to obtain. I was reading about that, and the color purple is actually extracted from the mucus of a rare sea snail. Don't you wonder sometimes, who was the first one So, so Aristotle, he said the value of purple, this, this, this mucus from this rare sea, was 10 to 20 times its weight in gold. It also says here that the rich man wore fine linen. And the Greek word there for fine linen is the word busos, B-U-S-S-O-S. And, and busos in the Greek, it means what it is, is a rare strong thread secreted by muscles. I wonder how God's laughing. You rich people. You cover yourself in snail snot and, and muscle excretion. <laughs> and that's what it was. Snot and excrement. It was just... And... And only the kings and only the wealthiest would wear these things. <laughs> it says here that the rich man lived sumptuously every day. He ate the very best. Food. He had the best foods. He had the best drink. He had the best wine. His house was the best mansion in town. He had everything, everything that everybody else might want. I can only imagine how well-known this guy was. Everybody knew the rich man on the hill. Everybody knew the man with the money. Everybody envied him. I want to be like him. I want to be like him. I, you know, the Bible we'll read here in a little bit. He had brothers. I'm sure his brothers were looking at him going, I want that. I want those things. He was, I'm sure, like a celebrity in that day. But listen, when it came to eternity... He doesn't even have a name. Think about that. There are no relationships in hell where he needed to have a name. Lazarus, on the other hand, the Bible says that Lazarus was laid at the rich man's gate. The, the word that's used there, we make it sound so soft and so simple. Like they took this poor man and on a stretcher, they took him and they gently laid him at the gate. The word for gate, or the word for laid there, is the word balo, B-A-L-L-O. It's the Greek word that means this, to throw or be dumped with force. 
There's forceful overtones to the word. And so what they did, they didn't lay him gently. They took him, and the Bible says he was thrown or dumped with force at this rich man's gate. And he was left there by people that we don't even know. We don't even know that they knew him. We just know that he was dumped at this man's gate, hoping that this man, because of all the blessings that he had and all the stuff that he had, that he would somehow or another have compassion on this guy. And so they dumped him there. They put him there with force. They threw him down there. And left him. And it says the gate. The gate that Lazarus was thrown at. Again, we sometimes think, well, the front door. But it wasn't the front door. More than likely, it was the rear service entrance where the servants would come and go. Because that's where the trash would have been thrown out. And that's where the dogs would congregate. Because dogs weren't pets that, in that day. And so the, the trash would be thrown out. The dogs were there to get the trash, to get what was thrown out. And that's where Lazarus was dumped, hoping that somehow or another he might be able to get some of the crumbs, some of the things that were dumped before the dogs got to him. In, in Barclay's commentary, he says this about that. He said, in, in that time, there were no knives, forks, or napkins. Food was eaten with the hands, and in very wealthy houses, the hands were cleaned by wiping them on hunks of bread, probably thin pita bread, which were then thrown away. That's what Lazarus was waiting for. And then it says, and I'm not trying to just be disgusting here. This is what it says, and there's a reason. It says that even the dogs came and licked his ulcerated wounds. I don't know about you, but I can't even stand it when a dog's licking my hand. Really? <laughs> Let alone... Just again, for a, just please bear with me, and I'm not trying to be gross here, but let alone to having a dog licking an open wound. It's like, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to stop that dog from doing that. I don't care if it's your dog. I don't care if it's your dog. I'm not letting that dog. <laughs> and what this says, what it means is that Lazarus was too weak, too sick, too hungry to even fight those dogs off. Lazarus was in absolutely no position to do anything to help himself. And church, how many people around us are in positions like that? Where if we would open our spiritual eyes, we'd see the wounds, we'd see the hurts, we'd see the places where people are in pain, the things that in their lives are going on that they need help with. They can't do anything for themselves. And God has put us in their lives, somebody in their life to reach out and to help them through their addiction, through their hurt, through their pain, through their healing, because they're in no position to help themselves. And then Lazarus died. And you can know, he, Jesus doesn't even mention anything, that nothing happened for Lazarus for his burial. It, it doesn't even say that he was buried. He, he didn't even have a burial, according to what this is telling us here. No funeral. And again, why would he? 
nobody cared for him in life. Why would anybody care for him in death? And I was reading, and some say, the general consensus is that when he died, what would happen with most of those who were homeless, had nobody, had no money, had no ability to do anything, what would happen is they could not afford to be buried in a right way. So what they would do is take them to the, va- to the fires in the Valley of Hinnom, which was the, basically the trash pit that was outside of Jerusalem, a place where the fires were continually kept. This is the same place where we read about in Scripture where babies were sacrificed. It's a place where the trash was burned, but it's also a place where they took those who they treated like trash because they didn't see any value in life for them. They didn't see anything that they had value of, and they would take them to this place outside of Jerusalem, the place where we get the word Gehenna, which means the place of eternal burning. That was his death. Contrast that with the rich man. Jesus tells us the rich man, oh, he was buried. And I'm sure as a rich man, it would have been a lavish ceremony, a ceremony that he probably was able to afford a burial plot on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem where the rich were buried. He would have had a procession, a long procession of hired mourners that would have cried all the way along, letting everybody know how important this guy was and how missed he will be. They were hired professional mourners. And can you imagine, he probably had the time, or, or at least in, in his wishes, in his last will, or whatever they called it at that time, had made the provisions of some of these things. How shocked he must have been when he opened his eyes and found himself in Hades. How shocked he must have been. How many today will be so surprised when they pass from this world and open their eyes in the eternal to find there really is life beyond death. And that it didn't work out the way you thought. That's why Jesus is giving us a very plain view of this. Look, on this side of eternity... I don't, I don't even know if anybody knew Lazarus' name. At the very most, only a few. Everybody knew the rich man. Everybody knew him. On the other side of eternity, everybody knew Lazarus' name. No one knew the rich man's. Because it didn't matter. No one knew his name. How sad it will be And this is a a very growing belief system because people find it convenient today. How sad it will be for those who believe that death is just annihilation. It's just, we're done, it's gone. To be surprised and find themselves when they open their eyes in a total place of consciousness for eternity. Because this is what Jesus describes when he, in this next portion of scripture, describes the condition of the two men in eternity. In verse 22, again, let's see what Jesus says. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. 
The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. So what is it? What's Jesus telling us here about life after death? What's he telling us in this time? There's a lot of people who have some, you know, really different beliefs about all this. There are many people today who believe that what we'll have is we'll have a place of, of, of soul sleep. We'll, we'll, we'll go into a place of sleep and be unconscious. Problem that I have with that is that it does not go along with what Jesus is teaching us. And so which one is the truth? Church, which will you believe? Will you believe some psychologist that's never been there? Or the only one that has? The only one that truly knows? And Jesus, he was describing Lazarus, and I'm sure like they thought that when he was talking about the the, the rich man, they would thought, how blessed is he? When they looked at this poor man, they would have, all of them, the religious thought, would have thought, man, that guy, he, he's going, he, they would have considered him cursed because of what he was going through. And they would have said, you know what? He's going through that because he's in sin. And how many of us have considered that in people's lives? Well, they're going through that because of sin in their life. Or even in us, we're wondering, well, is all this going on in my life? Is this all stuff happening because there's sin in my life? Look, there are consequences to sin. But as a born-again believer, he comes and brings forgiveness. He comes and brings his grace and his mercy into our lives. He, this, this man obviously wasn't there because of sin. How shocked they would have been as they thought this man was there because of sin to hear Jesus say, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. He, listen, he wasn't thrown down at the gate anymore. He was carried by the angels, where? To Abraham's side. Amen. He was carried to a place that certainly wasn't what they were expecting. What they were, and then in the next breath, can you imagine how shocked they were? This man they all looked up to, this man they all thought was all so amazing. We had eaten with him, we'd been to his house, all, all these things to find Jesus say, the rich man, he opened up his spiritual eyes and found himself in Hades. The Old Testament calls it Sheol. If you have a King James Bible, it says hell. 
Now again, there are many different thoughts in this. This Jesus had not been resurrected at this point. There are many who think and believe that what was Hades was was the place where the dead would go, the good and the bad, and those in Hades would be, are the, the, the unbelievers would be in that place of eternal torment, and that place of uh, Abraham's side would be that where those of faith were held until the time of the resurrection, and when Jesus Christ arose from the grave, came into this world, and ascended to the heaven, the Bible says that his train was filled, that he emptied Hades, of all of those that were at Abraham's side. You know, again, we'll get deeper into all of this when we get into it. And, and, and honestly, it really does not matter. As soon as the rich man died, he was in a proverbial state of hell. You can't describe it as anything less. He was in a place of total and complete agony. Whereas Lazarus, on the other hand, was immediately taken to a place of blessing. He was taken into a place where he was there with Abraham, the father of faith. And he was there taken to his side in a place where he would be comforted. A place where no matter what you want to call it, he was protected. He was in a place of God's provision. A place where he was by Abraham's side. And some of your translations call it Abraham's bosom. It's a place where he was close. Where he was in this close, intimate relationship with Father Abraham, the father of faith. And he was there because of his faith, not because of his goodness or badness. He was there because of God and his saving grace in his life. And, God, and, and Jesus talks about Hades and he talks about Abraham's side. And he talks about these two uh, places where these two different men would find themselves eternally. And the rich man, just as... Lazarus, Jesus tells us, experiences comfort. On the other side of that, the rich man, the Bible says, experiences total torment. That word torment, and again, I know these are not fun things. But this is God's word. And it's there for us to know. And we need to know. He calls it, he says, the Greek word says that he was in torment. The word that's used there in the Greek, the word is basanos. And basanos, what basanos means in the Greek is going to the bottom. The lowest torture or torment. That's what the word means. But that word in the Greek is plural. We don't translate it as plural. We call it torment, but it really should be torments. It's a plural word in the Greek. And Jesus, notice, he talks about it three times. He describes the pain. He describes the agony. He describes in verse 23 the torment or the torments. Verse 24, verse 25, he goes into the place where he describes this ex-rich man and the agony that he was in and in such a place that he even desired that his, his tongue was burning and he just needed a drop of water, just something. I'm in anguish in this place. And there's some things that you need to understand about this story, this truth that Jesus is sharing. Even though this guy doesn't have a body, that in this state, he is experiencing a sense of touch. He's experiencing the pain. He's feeling it. He also had a sense of sight and recognition. He was able to live, look across the chasm. And in his sight, he could see Abraham. And he could see Lazarus. And he recognized them. 
There was this place where he did. He had that sight and recognition. How, how, I just thought, how painful that must have been to look across there and to see them and to know that there is absolutely no way that you would ever be able to experience a moment of the comfort that they were experiencing for eternity. And then in Revelations chapter 20, at the great white throne judgment, the Bible says we read that death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire where there will be eternal darkness. Church, from that point on, the rich man, he won't see anymore. It's a place of complete and total darkness. The man has a sense of speech. He can talk. He talks to Abraham, he describes the pain, he describes what he's going through. I think it's funny, or not funny, but I think it's important to note that even in this place of anguish, it doesn't change his attitude. It doesn't change anything about him. He still thinks he can command Lazarus to do what he wants him to do. Tell Lazarus to go dip his finger in the water so that he can touch my tongue. Tell Lazarus to go to my brother's. Look, he still, he still thinks he can tell him, but in his lifetime, this guy wouldn't even give Lazarus the crumbs that fell from the bread that he used to clean his hands and threw out to the dogs. It was a reflection of his heart. It was a reflection. His actions revealed where his heart was. And even in that, as he called out, I, you know, when, he, when we read this, you read out, he doesn't just call Abraham. What does he call? He calls out to Father Abraham. Now all of a sudden, he wants to go back to his Jewish roots. Now all of a sudden, he wants to get religious. He wants to fall back on, on what he was born into. And, and that's what he's doing here. He's appealing to his Jewish heritage. And how deceived he was. How deceived he was. What religious arrogance he had. Like so many today, born into this Christian nation. So many that because we've heard about Jesus or because we know the name of Jesus or I went to church some point or another, we believe ourselves and call ourselves and declare ourselves to be Christians while we absolutely have no fruit of Christianity in our life. While we're living a life that is completely apart from what God's word declares to be righteous and true. We, th we call ourselves followers of Christ while we're not following Christ. We call ourselves those who are in faith when we have no faith even to believe God's word and what God has declared. Listen, I'm not trying to be mean or mean-spirited. I, I, listen, I, I'd rather offend you than tickle your ears with what you want to hear. We need to understand our salvation is important, that it is so true, and we can't just have a vague cultural view of what salvation is. We need to have a biblical view of what salvation is. So a lot of uh, people call themselves Christians, but they're not in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. This man also had a sense of hearing. He could hear Abraham talking, tells us he could hear him, yet still not a bit of repentance in the rich man. There was no sorrow for the way he had lived his life. 
There was no sorrow for the sin he had committed. There was no sorrow for the way that he lived that was contrary to the word of God. There was no sorrow in his life for the way that he had lived. And Abraham says, I'm sorry, but there's a great gulf that's been fixed. There's a great big valley, a chasm that you can't cross over from here to there, and neither can we cross over from here to you. There was no back and forth. And listen, what Jesus is telling us is that although so many people believe this, hell is not a cure. Hell is not a place where people go to get fixed. Hell's not a place where people go to become spiritually healthy. Health is a place of eternal punishment. Oh, I don't like that. How could God send people to a place called hell? Listen, hell was not designed for man. Hell is where men end up that don't receive the grace of God through salvation. Hell is never a place that God wanted men to go to. But men, in a fall of mankind, we became sinners in need of grace. And God supplied grace. And God supplied for each and every one of you a way out of hell and a path to heaven through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you don't go there, it's because you choose not to. Abraham then shares what I think would be one of the most painful things that would stay with him for the rest of eternity. That he would remember. It says in verse 25, it says you remember. You remember in this life. You're going to remember those things. You're going to remember the opportunities that you had. You're going to remember the opportunities that you had to repent. You're going to remember that day you sat and listened to a sermon that you didn't like and didn't respond to. You're going to remember the opportunity that you had to choose Christ and to repent of your sin and to turn from your wicked ways and to receive the grace of a loving God who wants to restore you unto a relationship like you've never dreamed or imagined, a life that's life and a life more abundant. God wants to restore that for you, and he gives us the opportunity. And even now, this may be an opportunity for some of you. But one day, we will remember all of the opportunities that we had for repentance, all the opportunities that God had when he reached out to us and gave us the opportunity to do good, when he gave us the opportunity to do something for somebody else. And this rich man would remember all of the opportunities that he would have had to repent, all of the opportunities that he would have had to allow that transformed heart to reach out to a man that was troubled and in need, laid at his doorstep, yet he continually re re just re regretted that place where he never reached out to him because he neglected him over and over and over again. How painful to, to realize the opportunities that he had to minister to his brothers at that time, to remember all the opportunities to reach out to his family. How painful for those who will remember the things that they had as opportunities in their lives. And again, I believe that in this place, our mind will be very clear. <laughs> I believe it'll be very clear because, man, I forget. I forget, yeah, I forget a lot more now than I used to forget. But I've always been pretty good at forgetting. I'm just becoming a little more professional at it now. But it sure seems to me that our memory will be pretty clear in this place of eternity. 
And I really do believe, church, that we will have regrets over the lost opportunities, the opportunities that we missed to repent, the opportunities that we had to do the things that we're supposed to do, and the opportunities we had to not do the things that we weren't supposed to do, to do those things that we should and not the things we shouldn't. And now there's this place, and in that time, there's an inability to set it straight. Why? Because it's too late. And Jesus was giving a warning before it's too late. And it is a lie from Satan, church. Please listen. It is a lie from Satan to think that you're going to be able to change your position in eternity. Listen, where death finds you, eternity binds you. The only time you have to change your eternal destiny is before you die. Because after death, it's too late. It's too late. And then he finishes up this last portion of scripture with what he wants us to learn about eternity. He says in verse 27, and he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear from him, or let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if anyone should ri- or if someone should rise from the dead. Now, again, is this a rich or poor situation here? I mean, is, this, is, this, is there eternal life being determined by whether they had money or not? Is this something that is determined by the have and the have not? No, absolutely not. Listen, being rich is not a sin. There's a lot of people who use their riches for the glory of God, who use the gifts that God's poured out to see his kingdom blessed and to see the people around them saved. They use their finances and funds and their gifts and all that God has given to them to do very good things. Abraham was rich. And, and just as a rich man doesn't just go automatically go to hell, neither does a poor man automatically go to heaven. It's not about what we have or what we don't have. It's about the heart and how we deal with the circumstances and the situations of our life. And I believe that this rich man, there was a lot of things, a lot of sins that he committed that revealed the impurity of his heart. But I think the greatest sin that this rich man lived is is a sin that many today in our communities and even in our churches live. And that sin is the place where we live a life totally content without God. We love the idea of God. But we live a life content and void from actually living with him. Following him. Obeying him. This guy in his life had no need for God. Even though he was born into a religion, he had no need for God. I think it also, his heart was reflected that he could go through life each and every day, never noticing, never caring about this man named Lazarus who laid at his door in absolute agony, in absolute pain. This man that laid there each and every day, he must have thought that this was just normal. Normal for this guy to lay there in agony, lay there in pain, lay there in a place of open need. And he thought it was just fine and normal for him to do that, for him to lay there like that while he lived in the lap of luxury and had the ability to bring comfort to this man's life. 
Church, there are people all around us that are hurting and in pain. There are people all around us that if we'll open up our spiritual eyes, we'll see the open wounds, we'll see the sores, we'll see the pains from a past where they were hurt. We'll see the places where they have been totally devastated, the places where they've been wounded. And God has given you and I the grace and mercy that we should be reaching out and helping them rather than thinking, well, it's just normal. It's just normal that I go through life like I do and they go through life like they do. No, you take the gifts that God has given you. You take the amazing way in which God wants to let his grace shine through you and you reach out and touch those who are hurting. You reach out and be the hand of God that ministers the love of Christ to those who are wounded and in pain. He's given us a a responsibility. He's given us a calling. How can we look at another human being that's hungry, another human being that's in pain and just do nothing about it? When on earth, obviously, Lazarus, he knew he needed God. He knew there was a need for God. And he sought out God in this plan. And, and you know what? He may not have found the comfort in this world, but you know what he did find? He did find in this lifetime, he found God, and into the next lifetime, was God to be a merciful and gracious God. He found the mercy and the grace of God. But the rich man, in this life, he never felt any need for it. Never, never felt the need. And church, each and every one of these two men were born into this world the same way you and I are born into this world. And just as these two men both had the equal and same need, each and every one of us also have equally the same need in our life. We are born into this world in the same situation. We are sinners set apart from God. We are all born into this world as sinners. We come from the seed of sinful man, and we're born into this world in need of a Savior. Each and every one of us, we come into this world in need of restoration because we come into the world without God. And when we're without God, we know there's a place where we call out to him and we need to. And God has given us every day of our life. And whether you have many days or few days, you need to know that each and every day is a day where God has given you. And in that day wants you to have the opportunity to reach out to him and to receive what God has intended for you so that you, through the opportunity of God, could find your way home. His desire is that in this lifetime, you would take advantage of the opportunities, even like today, to find your place in his kingdom, to find the comfort that only he can, only he can bring. And in church, it's a universal need that each and every one of us have. There's not one of us that's born into this world without this need in our life for the substitutionary Lamb of God, the death that Jesus Christ committed for you and for me, the perfect Lamb of God who died for your sins and for mine, that we might find restoration and forgiveness and that we might be cleansed in our iniquity that we could find our way back to God. And church, if you refuse him on this earth, after you die, God will honor the choice that you made. He will honor that. And if you choose to live without God, without God's grace on this earth, God will grant your wish for eternity. Look, if you're living your life without God, if you're living your life apart from Jesus, call out to him now. Call out to him from right where you are. Right in the condition, he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden 
And he says, come just as you are. You don't clean up to come to God. You come to God just as you are, and he begins to work on you through love. He receives you just as you are, and his desire is to see you come to him. Listen, church, don't wait. Don't delay. Come to him while grace can still be experienced, because after we die, it's too late to experience the grace of God. Why would you wait? Why would you wait another second? Why would you wait? I, I guarantee you, for many of you, the devil's just right now saying, oh, you don't, don't worry about it. Ah, you gotta, don't worry about it. You don't want to repent now. You got a hot date tonight. Hey, the devil is, I'm sure, speaking to many of you. Put off the message. Don't worry about it. There you got another day. But I want you to know that God's love is here for you today. That he stands with his arms open wide today. In John chapter 6, verse 37, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. God wants us to pray before we die. I want you to see that this man, the rich man, the ex-rich man, after he died, he became a man of prayer. Uh, he started praying for just a drop of water. He started praying for his brothers. But if you notice, none of his prayers were answered. Because it's too late. In this lifetime, he had been unfaithful to his responsibilities to use the resources, the blessings, the gifts that God had poured out for the reasons that God had given him those gifts and resources. God gave him a responsibility, just like he gives each and every one of us a responsibility. And he gave this man a responsibility towards those that were around him. He gave him a responsibility to repent and to live a life that was following after God so his brothers could see that repentant life, so that his brothers could see a man on his knees rather than a man on his throne. He gave him these resources and the responsibility to those that were around him. God was the one who had these men lay this Lazarus at his door and he did nothing to fulfill the responsibility when he had the opportunities to do that and the resources to do that. He refused to use them because his heart was hard. He refused the responsibility or at least neglected the responsibility that he had to his brothers. And he had modeled the life. He had modeled the worst pattern of life that he could. He had modeled to his brothers the example of a man totally content without God. And now he would remember forever. Not that he would know, but he would remember forever that he had patterned this life for his brothers that likely are now following in his pattern. Church, every one of us, you influence other people. You influence others, and you influence them for good or for bad. And hey, you may not think so, and you may not like that, and you may say, well, I don't want to be a role model. Too bad. God didn't ask you. He told you. 
You influence other people, and people are watching you. Your children are watching you. The people at work are watching you. Your friends are watching you, and they're watching how you either live for yourself or you live for God. You either live according to your own rules or you live according to the Word of God. He, they're watching how you live. In church, God has given us this command that we would live wholeheartedly for Him, that we would live our lives according to the place that God has called us to set our lives, to take the step he's called us to take to live our lives on fire for him to live our lives as a christian wholeheartedly because other people's lives depend on it people are watching and abraham says to this ex-rich man your brothers have moses and the prophets you know what he's saying there they have the word of god that's all they need they don't need any more than that And one of the things that this rich man, one of the sins of the rich man, is he didn't listen to Moses. He didn't listen to the prophets. He didn't listen to Father Abraham. He refused to listen to the word of God, that he needed to walk by faith and to receive into his life by faith the substitutionary lamb of God that would take away his sin. And he refused that. And if one today will not believe in the word of God, they won't believe even if one comes back from the dead. Because in Scripture, there were two people that, Jesus, or that God brought back from the dead. One, his name was Lazarus. Jesus stood at the tomb, and he called out to Lazarus after four days in the grave. And he called Lazarus out, and he called him to come. And he got up. He got up out of the grave and walked out, still wrapped in his grave clothes. And the first thing that happened to Lazarus, I mean, right, right off the bat, listen to what goes on, what happens. In, in John chapter 12, in verses 9 through 11, it says, The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. I just find it ironic that they wanted to kill the resurrected guy. Doesn't that, I mean, that makes sense. Good luck. And can you imagine, can you imagine the sermon, the testimony that Lazarus was given? I mean, the Apostle Paul was given a glimpse of heaven. He was given a revelation of heaven and and what it would be. And the Apostle Paul was then told by God, don't tell anybody. I think he said, don't tell anybody because they'd all be committing mass spiritual suicide. (laughs) Don't tell anybody. And he was given a thorn in his flesh to remind him over and over again not to share this revelation. And Lazarus had that revelation. And here he is, I'm sure, giving some testimony as to what's going on. And the religious wanted to shut him up by killing him. And then they had the other that was resurrected from the grave, which would have been Jesus Christ himself. And the Pharisees and the religious elite wouldn't listen to him either. Church, it doesn't matter how many signs and wonders you may see. It doesn't matter how many miracles you may be witness to. None of those things have the power to transform your life like the Word of God. And the Word of God is the most critical thing. It's the most crucial evidence we have to how God has called us to live our lives for the sake of eternity. 
And if we won't live our lives according to the word of God, then we won't live our lives by the resurrected Christ. It's critical. And I want you all to hear me. Please, it is dangerous for you to ignore your life beyond the grave. Worship team, would you guys come on back up, please? So quickly, what are the lessons that we learn here? The time to seek the Lord is now. Don't put it off. Don't wait till tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. There are consequences to the actions, and they're not always felt on this earth, but they may, many, follow us into eternity. We influence others more than we realize we do. And that the word of God is the most crucial evidence that we have to prepare us for eternal life. And lastly, it does not matter how blessed you are. It does not matter how much you have. If you in this lifetime, it doesn't matter your position. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they knew they were living by man-made rules, not God-given rules. And there are many people today, even in Christianity, who know they are living by man-made rules, not by the word of God. And they've taken and conformed the word of God to their desire and not according to what God has declared. And they don't take that scripture. And just like this rich man and those that were there, the Pharisees and the religious, they refuse to take that word and apply the scriptures to their heart. They wouldn't repent from the message. They wouldn't repent to the message that John the Baptist declared in the Jordan River and they would not change their mind and change their heart as the Messiah who stood right before them declared they should. And then in verse 30, he gives us, he tells us what the brothers needed. And the brothers, church, they represent those of us who are alive today. The brothers were still alive, and they represent you and I. They represent those who were there that day that were still alive. And this is the message that God sends to the brothers, to you and to me. And the message in verse 30 is repent. You change your mind and let it be conformed to the word of God. You change your life and let it be conformed to the pattern that God has. You turn to God. He is the answer for your sin. And there is no other. He's calling us into this place of receiving the sacrificial death of the substitutionary lamb as full payment for our sin by receiving Jesus Christ unto our life and committing ourselves as followers of him. Because church, listen, our only hope is found in Jesus. There are a lot of things today being declared in our world that tell us that there's this way and that way, that there's many ways. Either Jesus is a liar or he is true. He can't be both. And Jesus said there aren't many ways. Broad and wide is the road that leads to destruction. The road is narrow that leads unto eternal life. There is only one way, and Jesus is that way. He is the only hope. There are not many ways. There's one way. His name is Jesus Christ, and he came to redeem you. He came to give you life and to share with you the opportunity that you have today to receive him into your heart. Because church, at death, there's going to be one of two things. There is at death going to be great sorrow for those. The reality will be for those who try to place their hope in something other than Jesus. Or great joy for those who give him their heart, for those who receive his forgiveness, for those who commit their life to him. Great joy for those who know the Lord. Great joy for those who have committed their life to doing the best we can through the power of the Holy Spirit to follow him. Those who are born again by the spirit of the living God. Those who know the 
transforming power of the Holy Spirit in their life, those who have received a new heart and been cleansed from their sin, those who the Holy Spirit is beginning to convict in regards to sin and in regards to righteousness, the power of God at work in our life. Great joy for those who open their eyes in eternity to be face to face with the Savior. Where are you at this morning? Will you pray with me? Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come to you, Lord God, and we thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you, Lord, that your grace and mercy is moving through this place even now. Lord, to give us what we don't deserve, uh, to, to, to not give us what we deserve, and to give us what we don't deserve. And Lord, I pray that if there are any apart from you today, that they would reach out, Lord, in whatever state, whatever condition they come into this room, Lord, it doesn't matter. What matters, Lord, is of receiving fully and in truth the Spirit of God in our life, the Spirit that saves. If you're apart from Him today, you need to call out to Him. Just tell him, Lord, I am a sinner. Lord, I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I cannot overcome this. I need, Lord God, forgiveness. And I just trust today, Lord, that you are the one who can forgive me of my sins and cleanse me, Lord God, of the unrighteousness in my life. I don't know how it all works, Lord, but I want to trust in you. I want, Lord God, that life, and I want to have the life that I, I can't seem to find. I want you, Lord God, and I need you. Please, Lord God, come into my life and seal me with the Holy Spirit. Pour out, Lord God, unto me eternal life. Ask him right now. Ask him. He says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's no respecter of persons. He's longing for you to become a son, a daughter. Is that where you're at today? Do you need to call out? Has that been your prayer? while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed if that's you today would you just slip your hand up so I could pray for you praise God praise God thank you Lord come on don't don't hesitate thank you Lord thank you Lord oh God you are so good God you are so good thank you for your saving grace Lord Thank you for the way that you've moved in these that have responded unto you. That God, in a response unto you, in a wholehearted way, you've come and give us all, Lord. You pour out all. Thank you, Jesus. I also believe there's some of you in this place today that, you know what, you've, you've known the truth, you've known the grace of God, but you've walked away. You found yourself in a place like the prodigal son, living in a pig pen, living in a way that you know you shouldn't, and you just need to come home. God's looking for you. The, you know, the, the, the prodigal son had to do something. He had to, at some point, get up and come home. And there are some of you that God is calling you today to get up and come home. Is that you? Is that what God's speaking to your heart today? Would you raise your hand up and show me where you're at so that I can pray for you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
God, you see each and every hand. You see each and every heart. You know where each and every life is today. And I pray, God, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you move unto salvation in their lives, that you draw back home those who are away, that, God, you restore, Father God, those who... Listen, you know, the prodigal son doesn't clean up. He comes home covered with all sorts of things that he got in the pig pen. And God covered him with his own robe. God, cover those that are in need today. Cover up, Lord God, our shame. Cover up, Lord God, those places of humiliation. Cover up those places, Lord, that we don't want anybody to know. And the Father covered him, put his arm around him, and walked him before everyone in a place of proud declaration. This is my son. And God wants to put his arm around you today. He wants to cover you and to cover your shame, to cover the guilt, to cover the sin, to cover the stains of your life. His desire is to cover you, to protect you, to put his arm around you, declare this is my son this is my daughter come on just receive that today
So those who are leaving, go be the church. Amen. I love you. God bless you. Have a beautiful day. For those who are here for the meeting, come on up front and uh, find a place. And we will begin in just a couple of minutes.